Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit learner.co. That's learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the learner.co show. Today we have Andrea Picky. He's a human-centered problem solver and author. Guys, what are you looking forward to learning from Andrea the most today? Maybe we'll start off with you, John. Oh, I'm really excited about this interview. Uh, Andrea has worked with some incredible brands, um, well-known brands, and uh, in design and leadership. And he's he has an upcoming book on design leadership. So I'm really interested in, in his approach to design as well as his approach to managing and leading design teams. I'm pretty excited too, because what he does, the kind of work he does is just kind of universally cool. Like he creates things and he solves problems. And that to me is just like the most fun kind of stuff. And so the, yeah, the thought that he brings to it um, and obviously the, you know, the people appreciate as the thoughts that he has on the, on the subject of design and creating. Um, it's pretty exciting that we've, we've got him on this show and I'm I'm fascinated to, to hear what he's got to say. All right, on with the show. How are things? It's been a number of years since we last chatted. <laughs> yeah, a couple of years, I guess. It was at Sony, right? It was 2016, I guess. Wow, but that long. Was, yeah, it was, yeah, quite some time ago. So, yeah. What can I say? But still here. What's about you, Kevin? Yeah, same. Just been kind of, I guess, since we last been through kind of idea to acquisition, working on a couple of other startups now, um, including Learner, like um, John and I are working on with one other uh, partner. And yeah, it's been it's been fun, man. It's it's been great. So, and I'm I'm curious to learn what you've been up to today. I, I'm curious to cover your upcoming book, um, and obviously you have tons of schooling and experience in kind of design and design thinking and innovation. And, and I think selfishly, the reality as being a fellow designer, I think in a lot of cases, design is what's really going to make or break a lot of companies these days, because the technology underneath a lot of stuff is, yes, it might take time and effort, but the reality is, is most things have been done these days. No code, I think, is coming in heavily. And what's yep. really going to separate people apart is the actual design and user usability. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Well, I frame it in a slightly different way, but 100%. Absolutely. Okay. Every single okay. word. So we For can me, dive into that? Yeah. So absolutely. Um, I stopped um, using design thinking quite some time ago. I guess probably okay. at, at the time we had that conversation right. uh, when I was at Sony. And, and the reason is, as I started to develop into more senior roles, and as part of my remit was things like bringing a design at the higher level of the company, of the organization. What I try, what what I found out was that we know that words affect perception, right? And one of the first things that you learn when you are the D school at Stanford is that design thinking is not just the only way of thinking. Okay. So it's very good for certain things, 
but it's not that good for others. And as a matter of fact, there are, we also have engineering thinking, thinking, business thinking, research thinking, they all work in slightly different ways. Okay. In a nutshell, um, well, first of all, let me say, let, let me wrap up this, this concept and then we okay. can jump into that if you like it. As I started to try to elevate design thinking, let's call it that way for a while, what I realized was that people weren't that open to, to the idea because it didn't resonate with their mission, right? If you are, for example, oh, interesting. a developer and maybe you are a CTO, uh, engineer, director, you may say, well, why should I just embrace the design thinking? That doesn't feel to me that it completely uh, propelled my vision. To some degree, it can be perceived as, or oh, you want me to jump on board on your own, on your own vision, but what, it, what is in for me, right? So it doesn't feel like it's something that is really necessary for an engineer, at least not okay. to the very... Um, daily activities, right? Got it. Okay, we want to be design led, blah blah blah. But again, if you try to win people over the 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 word design led, you will always have to face some degree of uh, rejection because, in the same way that we love everything that we connotate with the word design engineer they have the same for for the word engineer development right yeah fair enough interesting and then you start to throw ahead of you hurdles that you don't really need so what i went through was okay what do i mean by design lab what do what is really design thinking because it's not a secret design thinking has been coined by by the kelly brothers at stanford when they wanted to choose uh, repackage human-centered design i'm okay. not saying that they say that so any what it is human central design so what i started to do was to sell human centricity and value for people for the user instead of design thinking because don't really care about empathize define blah 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 don't really care about that i care well i do when i'm with with my design team right but when I when I speak at the um, at, at a board meeting or maybe with other people, I care about what's the results. So if the results is human centered and and fulfill and propels the business model in a sustainable way, I'm happy, right? Yeah. So what I start to say is that how can we elevate human centricity at the higher level levels of, of an organization, right? So that is my question. I just abandoned it completely, like the word design thinking. Uh, I don't think it, it's of any help when you go, when you pass at that point and you start to talk with non-designers. So until you are UX manager, design manager, whatever it is, maybe even have the design. If you don't have, um, if you don't, if you don't get exposed by by more to to more senior people, uh, but then it's still maybe I don't know VP of design, maybe chief design officer. Well, is you just don't want to speak um, using those words. That's my personal experience. Words affect the perception is not what well, is a fact, but I mean, it's just the, the way I felt was was better. And in regard to uh, the design thinking, just to um, maybe come to a conclusion in terms of that concept is that at the very least, we have the design thinking, the engineering thinking, and the business thinking. So. The business thinking works much better when when you already have a solution, right? 
let, let's let's talk and think in terms of problem and solution and what you have to do to connect those two entities right sure so when you already have a problem and you already know the solution the business thinking usually is optimize its way through so you you have the solution and find the ways to to um, elevate that solution right so once you have the solution that's the best way give an example if you know that something is ready um successful on the market right you don't want to go through the entire design thinking process because you already have the answer right so you want to do like a discovery discovery for what right you you know you have the answer right then there is another instance of thinking which is the engineering thinking which is is solves its is its way through so which means that when you know how to solve a problem technically we call tame problems which is probably that already happened in the past which is a function of a static uh, domain and i'll give you some example because i know that can be a little bit abstract but okay. you know how to solve some something up front an example i live in london we have the tower bridge uh, let's say we want to build another tower bridge as crazy as it may sound right we just want to do it like a 20 feet away 100 feet away from from the original one right so you can go back to the old engineer and say, okay, tell me all the problem that I have to face, like the river, the terrain, the length, the, the, the materials, the connection, everything, the architectural challenges. And then you can take that solution, reapply it because it's very much on the same problem and you can solve the problem. Again, sure. there's no need to design thinking, connect to the user discovery, try to understand if the uncovered needs is the same problem. Another stupid example, um, the fridge is empty. You know the solution, right? So you, 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 you take your wallet or your phone, you go to the supermarket, you buy food, you come back, you throw them into the, into the fridge. You, you, don't, you don't just sit at the table and say, okay, what do you think are the, are the hidden needs here, right? Uh, should we talk with the people within the house? Oh, fuck you, right? Go to the supermarket, get some food, come back we throw in the fridge because we know what has the solution and what is the problem and every week we will have the same problem and we will apply the same solution this is this is where uh, the developer they start to freak out when the people change their requirements you know they always say well we don't change the requirements during the sprint right because they operate with an engineering thinking <clears throat> so they lock down the the solution right and they define the requirements and then they jump into the sprint and they don't want to other people say we change the requirements so then you have to reevaluate everything so engineering thinking solves its way through up front then you have other category of problems which are called like a wicked problem so which is a function of a dynamic uh, uh, domain for the most part they also include humans which is by definition the, the more volatile element or any problem instances that you can find and those requirements are dynamic and uh, just to remain on the same level of the tower bridge imagine like a urban design so now we are in london and we want to fix the traffic problem that we have uh, in piccadilly circus or maybe westminster it doesn't really matter right yeah so we get together we look at this problem and it's very dynamic and because we, you have people you have you have different um different connection different type of streets and, and the city also evolves, right? The city, London 10 years ago, is completely different London compared to today. 
And as a matter of fact, it will be a completely different London compared to 10 years in the future. Right. So wicked problems, they don't have an end state. They never by definition, instead of 10 problems, they have an end state. It's just start to finish, and then you can move to the next one. That problem will never move in any other direction, right? So wicked problem is if you fix the, the urban design challenge in London, then you cannot take that solution and go to Tokyo and reapply the very same solution to Tokyo. Why? Right. Because the requirements are different. The, the variables are dynamic. While instead we tame problem, this is, I guess, is the, the, the more distinct this differentiator in terms of characteristics between tame and wicked solution is is reapplicable while wicked cannot really be reapplied so in that case you need to use design thinking that prototypes its way through so you never strive to find an end state it says okay where where i am today i'm here right what's the best uh, informed decision that i can make uh, based on what I know today. So you talk to the user, you explore, you try to uncover the needs, blah, blah, blah. Then you plan the next step. You don't plan for the end. You don't even see the end. And, and then you plan the next step. You make this step. Then you, you reassess, you reevaluate the situation. And then with that new information, you plan the step and plus one, right? And you move iteratively like that. So which is different with, with, with the same problem because you can put on paper day one, day X, that's the end of the project. We will pretty much uh, complete within that, right? right? So if you go with, that's why as, as, a, as a leader, you have, you have to understand the problem that you are attacking, right? If you go with full human-centered design, design thinking, whatever you want to call it, for and you try to solve a same a problem, it's just a huge waste of resources. And, and and it doesn't even it doesn't even optimize the speed and the pace of the design operations. So you have to recognize the problem. Uh, likely, or well, I don't know if it's likely, but um, the majority of people or problems they involve people can be defined as a wicked problem. Even if you have like a, an app which can be dissected into small team problems, but then you have different stakeholders. You have a multidisciplinary um, it, type of investments in terms of desires. So that's um, if trigger an evolution towards like a wicked problem. So if you don't know that distinction and you assume that everything is a wicked problem, you can be right in the majority of times, but the few ones that you are wrong, you can be like, like crazy wrong, right? Right. So it's always important to see the distinction. No, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I 100% agree with you. It, it It's interesting, but Maybe before we dive a little bit deeper on some of that stuff, I want to circle back and talk about you know, your educational background and then your career, maybe some highlights along the way, because you have a ton of education and you've worked for some of the biggest companies on the planet doing design and leading their design. And I really want to talk about some of that. So do you want to maybe just give us a quick background on your your education and uh, your career? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll give you a very high level overview, and then you tell me what you want to discuss. You sure. are you are dust, right? You lead the conversation. So, um, I start 
from neuroscience and cognitive psychology. I wanted to be a psychologist and I just had that passion for people. But I was like a little kid which was born with the Commodore 64. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we, we all developed that passion, right? It was something that we didn't even um, un understood completely at the time. So it was fascinating. So I went through that first five years in psychology and neuroscience. And then I said, you know what? I just want to try with computer science. And then if uh, something doesn't, or something will not work, well, I can always um, jump out and do and, and be a psychologist. So I went through that, that new career, computer science, uh, five more years. Um, then I moved abroad and, and with, with an element of psychology and an element of computer science, I start um, to put everything together at Stanford with human computer interaction. And, and then after that, at the time, um, not many people had those duality in their um, in their brain, but from an educational perspective. So I ended up working at Apple and Google and then and just moving a little bit around um, working for Samsung, Nokia a few years ago when we had our first conversation at Sony. And also in the middle, I tried to move back to Italy and I, and I taught at the university for a couple of years while working uh, for for a design agency in Italy, cool. and ended up teaching design and also uh, advanced programming, which is, I mean, you're very few people that, that can do that. Um, then I move, I move abroad again, again, Samsung, Nokia, and Sony, and in the past few years, um, led the re, uh, well, it was in a rebrand, like a brand refresh of British Airways. Right. I've been like an old friend, which was in charge of the old design team, and, um, and then I created like a, a, here in Europe is quite it's quite well known. It's called Babylon Health, which is is the company that created the first artificial intelligent doctor. Oh, cool. Now it's there. They moved to the U.S. and and the, I mean Google has part of the shares, so it is a very strong company. It's very well known. We we secured the, the largest fund rounding in Europe in terms of like investment for for a healthcare startup at the time. And now I'm in banking, trying to do something completely different. Um, but we'll, we'll eventually talk about that later. Banking is not that sexy, so I know that. <laughs> I understand. But there's lots of design problems to fix in that space, and even in yeah. the fintech space, right? Like a lot of banks, and even just bank, a lot of bank mobile apps are so archaic and yeah. terrible. So I, I think banking is actually one of the best industries for a designer to go in as the caveat to that though, as long as you have the freedom to actually fix it, because I've known yeah. design friends that have gone to work at a bank and their hands are basically tied to do anything innovative because yeah. of whatever. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I know what you mean is one of the person that I estimate the most, um, sorry, they respect the most, um, I don't want to mention the name because this is very famous one. <laughs> sure. And um, he worked in banking, and he left after a few years. He 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 had like a great success in that yeah. bank. He brought design at very high level, and it's very well known what he made for 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 design and for designing banking. 
but now he's doing something completely different. I can't tell you what, otherwise everyone will understand who he is. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But, but I, he, he always he, he used to, to, to say, like, good luck, right, if you try to change banking. Uh, but you're right, you're right. So where I am at the moment is a startup. Okay. And so I feel that if there is an opportunity in banking to, to achieve some change is this type of context. So you join a startup and as a matter of fact, they join the company before receiving the banking license. So at the very early stage, and there is a couple of two co-founders with design background. So I don't know if you will make it honestly, but if we will, I think that's probably the best um, scenario that I can envision, right? Uh, for me. So, uh, but in banking, and again, I, I think we probably um, were better off going back to other type of challenges, but it can be interesting. I just want to say that for banking is the main challenge is beyond usability of those things, which is, is quite terrible. As you say, Kevin, you're completely right. But the challenge is that to deliver a different type of value. And that was one of the things that brought everywhere in, in the past year when speaking at conferences. And I mean, life, you have five main different type of value, two are quantitative, financially functional, two of them are qualitative, emotional identity and meaningful, which is actually is a super category composed by 15 core meanings like security, connection, wonder, all those things. So once I, you have the quantitative value, functional or financial. On the other side, you have the qualitative value, the intangible one, emotional identity and meaningful. So for the new banks, the challenge is to shift the focus from purely functional or financial, quantitative, and start to deliver, generate and deliver intangible um, qual qualitative value, right? That's the challenge which open like a hours and hours of conversation about living as <laughs> yeah that's what i am but i mean happy to go back and talk about more sexy stuff no very cool so well i think we should dive into your upcoming book because i think oh. that's going to be i think the future in a lot of cases and, and you kind of already talked about that so what's the book about and what's the book called so uh it's published by Springer, Apras Springer, and is called Design Management, How to uh, Create, Develop, and Lead uh, Effective Design Teams. Sure. So in my mind, the, the, the best title was Manage Like a Leader, and that was supposed to be but um, for CEO um, purposes and, and all those things, Design Management was was probably stronger okay. so but the concept is really managed like a leader and the the sentiment well actually well the strong uh, message that actually en encompass the entire manuscript is on one side you have the leadership abilities on the other side you have the managerial abilities if you don't have both, you cannot succeed because the leader, well, it, leadership, it's about coping with, with change. So it's about define a vision, put together a strategy, strategy, achieve the strategy, so set the direction. But then, well, that can be three years, five years, 10 years in the future, right? If you want to get there, 
just pointing the finger or maybe articulate a wild craft story is just not enough because the people will never be compelled i mean um for, for five years to follow you right yeah. So then you have to understand how to manage people, which is management is about coping with complexity. And that part is, is what allows you to rally people for five years. And of course, it, it's a balance, right? It's never black or white. It's just a, in, in demonstrated elements of leadership and managerial ability at the same time. But sometimes you have some some visionary person that join a team and makes everyone excited but then if you look at linkedin you see that person just leaving after maybe some time and not a, and not being able to achieve anything like achieve true change right. and that's probably because the managerial side is just a little bit lacking and and maybe the other one is a very strong manager but it, it is not able to get any traction or momentum and is not able to um to excite people or maybe even articulate what is in his or her mind right, right. so it, it, the the core message is that you have to possess thought and it's very much research based what i wanted to to do was to bring neuroscience psychology and sociology into the discourse because i feel that there are very or well, there are a lot of topics that has been discussed uh, from a too high level. And, and, and I can give a couple examples, but sure. I'm going to hold now. Okay. And yeah, but that's in a nutshell. Okay. Well, why don't you give some examples and then I'll ask my question. Yeah, sure. So one of the examples that I really care about is, well, first, I'm, just to give you a sentiment in terms of content, and I'll start from the last um, sexy one. For example, when you set objective, objectives for the team, right? Apart from uh, derive those objectives from the purpose of the company, the team, and you know, cascading those things, right? In, in a meaningful way so that people can see the connection is, is about managing stress in, in, in a healthy way. Uh, and the reason is because stress is not all negative, right? Actually, stress is divided into like a three category, starting from the comfort zone where the stress is low. And then you have a, another step, imagine like an onion, right? And one step forward when you have something called a EU stress, uh, the people like the vernacular way of framing is like a good stress. Yeah. And then you have another step, which is the de-stress, which is the toxic one, right? So as a manager, you don't want to be in the comfort zone. You don't want to be the friends of everyone because that's not your goal. Your goal is to get the best from people, right? So you want to push people into that EU stress zone. But in order to do that, you have to understand how, for example, stress develop, which is quite standard across male and female and, and different ages. So we know what's your response. So as a leader and as a manager, you have to understand what are the responses to stress so you can adjust um, the type, let's just say type of objective that you allocate to people, right? So you went from, yeah, well, we have objective and there needs to be um, like a function of the company's vision to, well, again, we should look at the people and, and understand how to manage the human side of people and and you became a little bit of a psychologist that's my way of um 
presenting the things just because my background and what I believe is important, right? right. Um, I mean, I'd say that is the only way. I think it's one very good good way of doing it. So this is a stupid example. But another one is, for example, there is this concept of everyone can be a designer, which is absolutely false, right? And sure. yep. or maybe well, designers should be facilitators, right? And like, if we don't bring anything to the table apart, I don't know, like be a moderator, right? Which is absolutely false. And and the reason is because there is a quite complex creative um, process behind the scene that not many people understand. So to the point that they can't even argument in their favor when they say, well, we shouldn't just be like a, that facilitator, right? Actually, we bring skills. So, and I start from the definition of creativity, which is, is quite, uh, well, opaque to many to many people for example in order to be cre um, creative something needs to be original and appropriate so which means that original in the sense that the solution is solves the problem in a meaningful way which is uh, more often than not is different from past solutions right that's the originality right and the other one is the appropriateness which means that it needs to be appropriate which means that it needs to solve a real problem, right? Yeah. So we, those are the two elements and, and sometimes you can push one or the other, but there is another important element during that process that um, which connects with so many different things um, in, in terms of creative collaboration. You never invent anything, Right. never, never. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. So. And also, you do not see reality for what it is. You just don't. So I don't see reality. You don't see reality. John doesn't see reality. We just cannot do it. So, well, I explained the book and, and it comes from perception, like how perception works, what are the limits of perceptions? And what happened during that process is that we created something like reflective assumptions. It's some of the things that we do in order to perceive the external world. But those reflective assumptions are based, and that is like a, the catch-22, are based on what has been useful in the past. So you see that if you only see things that has been useful in the past, it's really hard for someone to see something that is even new, right? And sure. that's one of the ability of the designer is to push the thinking to reframe some of the things that already exist into something that it didn't exist. So it's just a reconnect elements. And, and that's why there are like three functions, main function. One is like blending, bending, and, and connecting things. But you never create something out of anything, right? So this concept is, well, the message of this concept is like twofold. On one side, well, if you cannot see reality, you have to collaborate, right? You, 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 need, you need to create a group because alone, the lone wolf, it just doesn't exist. Because if you cannot even see the reality, how can you have the audacity to see that you can solve a problem comprehensively just you alone, right? Right. And 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 the other one is that is true like innovation or that things that seems to be like or work like magic actually 
it comes from something that already existed in the past. So, um, and that free you up a little bit in terms of creative thinking from the burden of, I have to just be the person that brings something new to the conversation while instead it's more about see the world in uh, through different lenses. That's why if you talk with great design leaders, like people that really achieved a lot, they all, they all say something like, if you ask a question, what's the best thing that I can do for me in order to develop as a designer, right? Mm -hmm. They will tell you travel, see new things, make new experiences. And then you see, well, but are you talking about design? So be probably no, 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 just make new experiences. Because <laughs> when I mentioned that weird word like, word, like reflective assumption, right? Those are the things that you connect in your brain in order to interpret the word, right? Right. When you do that, and if you think that is really the only way that you can do that, this is based on the knowledge that you already have in your brain. Interesting. So that's the only way that it, can, it cannot be in any other ways because you are like a self-contained organism, right? So right. when you look at something, for example, let's say, um, you, you you have your laptop in front of you, right? Yeah. Uh, let's say. But if you if you just take, well, get a time machine, you go back 200 years and you show that to someone, that person will, will not understand what it is, right? Right. So the truth is not in the object. The truth is in your brain because you know what it is, what that object is. And then you connect the dots in, in, in a way that is useful for you. But that person never saw a laptop before, so he cannot make the same connection. Right. Interesting. So that's why great successful people, they always tell you, this, for the most part, designed by pretty much everyone. They say, make more experiences. Because some of them, they are aware of that. Even the people, they are not aware of that. They intuitively understood that lesson. The more you put in your brain in the form of memories, the more rich will be your perception of the world. Interesting. No, I, I actually think that's that that's really good advice. But I'm curious. Okay, so you're leading design team. How do or what's your advice when dealing with the engineering side of you know an app or your startup or whatever it is? Because obviously design wants it to flow and work how they want engineer the engineering side is trying to replicate it as best they can sometimes based on timeline budget um how things were maybe written in the past where you're at your startup the list goes on and on how do you bridge that gap to get good design and kind of that's actually executable or executable sorry because I think that's a real challenge for a lot of startups, no matter where they are, whether it's like they're they're in their first lines of code and trying to implement design, or they have this thing that's been around for a number of years. Yeah, so that's, that's a very good question, Kevin. Uh, <clears throat> well, here we move into the managerial side of the game, um, into the political one. Okay. And I'm <clears throat> I'm using the that word um, 
with the noble Greek sense, not like, oh, you are a political, I'm not interested in political conversations, right? Right. Political really is that is the ability to get shit done pretty much, to navigate the ultra sociality of groups, right? Right. So not 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 the 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 mere one that develop from politicians, right? So so every company is different. We also have to say that, and we know from what we mentioned before that we have people involved. So is by definition a wicked problem, and which means then if you had success in another company, you cannot reapply the same solution, right? Right. So every environment is different. But the best things, the best thing to do is to find something that aggregate different people um, across the company. And that's where the initial idea of human centricity comes from. Okay. So they don't care about design. Let's be honest. We don't care about engineer. Let's be honest. I mean, not to the same degree that we care about what we love. Let's put yeah. it this way, right? Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it is what it is, right? Let's not. <laughs> so sure, yeah. Um, but there is something that we all care about, right? Doing something good for the people that we serve, based on the company that we are working for and the business model developed by the company, <clears throat> whether it be a bank, whether it be Apple, Google, whatever it is. And you have to leverage that. So. Another things that need to be mentioned, and there is a lot of like premises because really it's about people and people are messy. You need to hire people there with the right mindset. Otherwise, forget about it. You just okay. can't do it. You just can't do it. Imagine like uh, you want someone to love you very much. Can you do it? Do you think it's doable? Like force people to love you? I don't think so, right? Because yeah, at the end fair. of the day, the people, they do whatever they want. <clears throat> so if you have engineers that they have no intention to find a common ground, you just don't go anywhere. You should just change company. I think that's really good advice, but keep going. Yeah. So now I have to make that premise because otherwise we came across as the naive guys like, oh, everyone is good. We can make it just think positive, right? I yeah. mean, life is messy, it's unfair, you fail often, get used to, but you can keep persist and, and eventually you can achieve if you connect with the right people. So let's say we have the people and, and we just have to work a little bit, right, on some of the social friction and some of the conflict of interest that we have across the company, which is um, if they remain within a certain degree are very healthy because you have people uh, pull in different direction, right? You have the development, the engineer, the design, the marketing, the product. But if everyone is on the same page on delivering great value for the user and they're open to uh, find a middle ground, because I don't want to say compromise, but I want to say it's like when you are in a relationship, you have to be able to find a common ground right? when, when it comes down to certain things, right? So if you are not open at all, the relationship can only be one way, as simple right. as that. So if you have that, having human centricity is what is worked very well for me in the past, because now you can say, okay, how can we be human centric, 
right? And maybe the designer can say, well, we need to do a little bit more research. And, and, and the developers, maybe they can see, oh, we want to be a little bit more involved early in, in the process. Or maybe we want to be part of the testing phase, right? Or we want to maybe have an extra conversation before starting to writing code. <clears throat> if those people really care about that, then you will find it just a matter of having enough experience to see uh, what can be the best solution, right? If, if you are a little bit senior as, as a director head of, and you had a, a few experience, then you can understand how to navigate that. But you need to have the right people, otherwise it just doesn't happen. And let, let me diverge for one second sure. because it is the same things, but it's about something that is very much uh, front of mind um, in 21st century, which is diversity, right? Yeah. So diversity, when we say, well, diversity, it's an asset for creative collaboration. What? And if you say like that, I have to say yes, but there is like a giant, but, right? So okay. the group needs to achieve what is called psychological and behavioral synchrony, okay. which means that if you have like a team, let's say of 10, so, and if we talk about diversity, which means that we have people with different, let's say backgrounds, whatever that means, whether it is a cultural, social, uh, past experience, it doesn't really matter. They come or they join the group with a slightly different idea on pretty much everything, right? Yep. So <clears throat> the naive part is that, well, you just, you just need to have a diverse group of people. Those people will get together very well. No, that's absolutely not true. So actually like non-diverse people, they perform much better when there is like no management at all. Like uh, there is no willingness or effort into achieve what is called a psychological behavioral synchrony. So if you want to have diversity, you have to, for example, one of the things that you can do, you can, you cre you can create like a um, principle, you can create rituals, you can create roles, you can create a lot of different things, which is, is basically it develops a culture that is a function of all the difference and nuances that everyone brings on the table. But that said, it doesn't mean there are no roles and everyone can do whatever they want. So, right. and, and, and that is, it connects to the other one, right? So it's, it, it, it's similar, but it's, 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 a, it's a symptoms of, well, there is some connection, right, um, there. So again, um, I'll leave that to you. We can go in any direction you want. No, it, it, it's interesting how much you've talked about getting the right people with the right mindset trying to solve the real problems of the company, right? From a design perspective, from an engineering perspective, from the business side, and then from the customer side, right? And if you don't have the right people, you're just going to end up chasing your tail, right? And yeah. I guess just bringing on people to fill a role doesn't help you at all. And if you don't have support from above or, you know, leadership, it's, you're going to go nowhere fast. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> but I think a very practical way of managing that part, which is there's a chapter and a couple of chapters. One is create the team, another one is develop the team, <clears throat> is, is about creating descriptive and prescriptive norms as a part of your endeavor, well, aim to create a, a design culture, right? Right. And and this implies create and define behavioral standards. So right. once once you did that, then you <clears throat> then you hire based on that. So you are you hire based on behaviors, which is I mean you have to define in in in, in a good way, but that is the unifying factor, right? So we hire for behavior, irrespectively of the culture, the nationality, the language that the people speak, right? So mm -hmm. if you say, for example, you, you that's a stupid, but usually it's framed in, in a quite um, compelling way, but the, the subject can be curiosity, right? You need curious people. And one of that's the reason why we always say you need people that demonstrate curiosity is because if you think as a manager or leader that you can um, engender intrinsic motivation, you're just crazy. You just don't understand how the things work because you can add a little bit of intrinsic motivation, like a good salary, maybe a good package, but the intrinsic motivation is always self-developed. And yeah, that's why you also have like a managers or couple, they struggle because they, they one of the two fields that can more intrinsically motivate the other, right? Like can make you happy or something like that, <clears throat> which is never the case. So it, it, that, that, that's the fact. So you define those standards and then you, you hire based on behaviors. And that's what, that's my definition of like cultural fit, which is behavior, a psychological fit for me. So, and, and then once you have those standards, then you can have everyone from Africa, Europe, Australia, Australia, US, it doesn't really matter. That's when you can achieve like that psychological behavior simply when everyone also ready to embrace the culture. So it, you can see the parallel here. So if you don't have developers and designer, they are ready to embrace human centricity and what is required to deliver human centricity or create a human centric company, not design led, no engineer led, no marketing led or product led, but human centric company, you just don't go, you don't go anywhere. In the same way that if you have someone that you say, for example, we those are the behaviors that uh, the people have to demonstrate in order to join the team and then you have someone during the interview process that say i just disagree i just i, I will never do it and you are it anyway it's the same the same thing when you have like the design team or the engineer team or the marketing team that goes for a tangent and ignore the the, the greater good or um another way that you can frame that within the companies to create different level of KPIs. Okay. And usually you have like a, a departmental, like design KPI, product KPI, but those KPIs are always a function and uh, one degree of, of one order less, less important compared to the one KPI, which is shared by everyone. For example, something that we did in the past, one of the companies that we mentioned before was 
um, we had a couple of KPIs for human centricity, but also um, how the people felt that the product was really human centric for them. And that KPI was responsible to deliver the bonus across the company. So if you work in marketing, you get the bonus based on that. If you work on design, you get the bonus based on that. If you work, if you are an engineer, you get the bonus based on that. So then you have a second layer that say, well, maybe, I don't know, code refactoring or maybe other stuff, right? That usually a developer engineer use as a KPI to, to measure their work, right? But that is just to, um, to assess or measure the engineer operations. It's not is not a proxy to assess success so you have that lower order or kpis that is for the head of engineer director to just manage the operation operate that uh, optimize that phase but then we we have everyone within the company that is evaluated on the very same set of human-centric kpis that's for example a strong message that uh, can only comes from the top of the company but it's very it's very useful and um and efficient no i i think that's that's really good advice but i'm, I'm curious how do you stay current and, and continue to learn and stay up on these topics and trends because they are changing they might be repackaged a bit but they are changing quite a bit well that's that's a great question well first of all you you need to um to have some passion for what you do, right? Right. And, and and I have very few. Well, I like many different things, but only read about two, three subjects. One is video games. I like them, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I'm like a tactical shooter gamer, Got like it. Yep. insurgency and uh, all those things, right? But then it's all about psychology and and design that's what i read right so and then i create very strong habits during my day which is just before going to bed lunchtime early in the morning i just do it because i enjoy it right so i i feel that so there are a few people that actually drive the field okay and yeah. And not everyone is just born to drive things. And we yeah, just need to fair. accept it, right? So someone say, I have a lot of people that, that a lot of my friends are great designers, but they said, look, Andrea, I just don't care about uh, managing the team. I don't even care about very, very, very senior. Uh, the money I get are good for me. I mean, I'm happy if I get more, but I don't have that hunger that maybe other people have or demonstrate to just push forward your own development. And at the end of the day, they're not doing anything wrong to anyone. So you have to accept it. So you have to look yourself in the mirror. And I believe everyone has a responsibility to develop for you and the people around you. So I, I, life really is a journey of getting the best version of yourself. But if you decide to not embrace that, um, that's your choice, right? So. It, there is no secret sauce in that sense. It's just about hard work and and dedication. And if you are lucky and you don't really feel the pain, because sometimes it's painful. Sometimes maybe I want to sleep. I'll give you an example. For many years, and even, even these days, 
what happened in the evening my girlfriend uh, we live together she goes to bed i stay up and read okay that's it right she's brilliant she's like a brilliant architect but we are just different people she said well i just want to go and sleep um i i, I mean do whatever you want right i just need to sleep for me um if i have a problem that i, I wasn't able to solve it i have to just to crack it and or maybe there is this new trend or maybe i know that i need to get better at neuroscience because next year i want to write a book and and now for example i just finished the book right. i'm just thinking about what i can do next and with my girlfriend we had the joke like oh once you finish the book we can do something more like and, and and but she knows that I'm jumping on my on the next thing now, right? Even if I'm not paid, right? Right. And just that that's my nature. So, and and you just have to look yourself in the mirror and say, look, if I'm willing to pay the price, I can develop myself to a very high level. But if I'm not, it's okay, right? So it's just a be be okay and happy with it. If you cannot be happy. This means that you have to do it. You have to maybe work a little bit on um, your own motivation, set your own goal, because sometimes it's an operational issue. It's yeah. sometimes it's just a lack of motivation. That's a different different story for a different day. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Is there any design books or podcasts or other things, though, that you would recommend uh, people check out that really inspired you through your journey? Well, as you can imagine that, a lot of them right so sure. i remember like one, one of the people that i respect a lot which is mauro porcini which is the chief design officer at pepsico he right. used to say like oh um i learned a lot from many different people but they didn't know and i said well, what do you mean by that yeah because i mean if you look at a library there's many people telling stories and i can just read everything and learn from them right yeah so of course, there are many of them because everything I know today, it came from another person. We right. said that before, right? I didn't yeah. invent anything for myself or for the things I know. But I want to mention a couple of them, which is uh, one is um, the book, which is very good. I'm reading and um, I just read, but I'm rereading at the moment, which is Design Leadership Ignite from okay, yeah. Eric Quint. I mean, we all know, right? That's like some of the best designer in, in the community, right? which is very good if you want. I feel that he actually endorsed my book. And um, so we had a, lot, a little bit back and forth on that. And very I feel, cool, my, yeah, my book, a compliment is book because he's, he talks about things that I, I didn't touch upon. And I went very down into the detail that he didn't go because he, he had to talk about other important stuff, right? So I felt there were um, complimentary in that sense. So design leadership ignored from from Eric Quint, and the podcast. I mean, there are a lot of them. Even like a user user defender from Jason Ogle, which is a great guy. But I have to say, like uh, reconsidering from Bob Boxley, which is like another great one. I don't know if you know uh, Bob or his podcast. Do you know it, Kevin? No, I don't. No. So, oh wow, that's. I mean, so that's a good one. I say something that you didn't know. That's good because I mean, with Eric, everyone knows Eric. So, uh, first of all, let me say that uh, Bob, he used to uh, be on one of the design manager at the time of Steve Jobs at Apple. He was wow. working on the Apple Store, 
And every time we talk, he just share um, Steve's story, which is I never get, <laughs> never yeah, sure. get bored of. I mean, it's just. And then he's a great guy. Is another role model for me. Is very humble. He knows so much, and he said he doesn't, but he does, right? So he's so humble. They say, well. No, well, well, you're great. Come on. So um, he has this podcast reconsidering. So there are a couple of his costs with uh, Meredith Black and Otto Walter, which is at Envision. Um, so it's great. And they, they interviewed, I mean, I mean, Bob is another very, very high level. So he has a strong network and interview many different people, uh, Maria Giudice and, and uh, I mean, many great designs. So if you visit that, you you have a lot of content. Season one just wrapped up. They're working on season two. Very cool. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, the book, and any other links you want to mention? Yeah. So about myself is my um, website. So my name, last name, dot it, Andrea picky.it or they can just type my name on Google or LinkedIn. And the book, uh, we mentioned the title, Design Management, How to Create, Develop and Lead uh, Effective Design Teams. They can look up on Amazon or directly on the Springer um, website. So th they will find it. And I will just push it once it's available uh, because it will be probably in a month or so on through my socials. So if they connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, they, they will they will be updated on that. Perfect, Andrea. Well, as always, it's great to chat with you. Thanks again for doing it and have a good rest of your day. Oh, thank you for having me, Kevin. It was a pleasure, John. So hopefully we'll speak again in the future. Take Sounds care. Good. Thanks. Good. Thanks. Bye, bye bye. Well, John and Greg, what did you guys think of that? Well, that was a great interview, Kevin. And it uh, I think it lived up to all of my expectations. I was really interested in how he um, how he talked about how he he took lessons from other people, and that's where you he got a lot of a lot of the the things he's learned is from the stories of other people who have who have whose path he's he's also followed. Yeah, that was a that was an amazing interview. I, he is he totally lived up to expectations. And I'm I'm really happy that I I've, I've got a real takeaway from this myself. Like when he was talking about you know wicked problems, and that's where you apply uh, design thinking. And you know for other like I've I've heard it called kind problems before, or I think he called it tame problems. But but you know that's where you just are optimizing the solutions already there. You just optimize for it. And but if you try and apply design thinking to to those kinds of easier like solvable problems already solved problems it'll just frustrate everybody else that's uh, involved in it and you'll kind of lose the lose the momentum behind it that that's such a great insight and i loved it i thought that was so cool yeah very cool i'm always happy to chat with him and i yeah like i said before he he always has really good advice so uh, i thought it was great thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show if you're looking to be a guest, try out our app, or want to get in touch, please visit LearnerWith2Ls at www.lleaarner.co.
The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.